What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vol Fanatics Show podcast. However, you listen on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, we appreciate you tuning in. My name is Skylar Michael, my co-host. How we doing, Bubba? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Uh, you know, it, we are coming off a Tennessee loss, but you know what? We all expected Tennessee to lose yesterday. Um, the game went pretty much how we expected it. So, I mean. You can be disappointed in the loss, but I mean, when you expect it, you can't really be down on that. It's like we like we were after that Missouri game. So, um, how you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, throat's a little sore, not from necessarily the game yesterday, because um, there wasn't much to cheer for after the first play. Um, but, but uh, I woke up a little sick. But we're trying to push through for you guys. Um, nah. Uh, before we get into that abysmal game, which was exactly like predicted as expected, like we we didn't really see that going any different. Um, but do you have any shout outs for the show this week? So uh, I don't really have any shout outs, but I will shout out one person because I, I do hope that he is back today. We missed him last week. I hope Robert tunes in today. And Robert, if you are watching this, man, we missed you last week. Uh Give us some comments on there, man. We'll, we we look forward to having your comments. I know uh, your shout out that that I let you give. He also comments on there as well. So, no, absolutely. My shout out of the week this week uh, has actually been a probably been with us since day one. Um, he's messaged me, um, but his name is Sean Carpenter. Um, lifelong friend, really played ball with him, uh, went to school with him, and he supports us. He's actually he does his wrestling thing, man. So check it out. Um, it, it's pretty cool. I, I catch his little his little videos that he posts on Facebook. So, so shout out to him, but yeah, he was in the chat last week and the week before. Um, and then he also shares a show out. So we appreciate you, Sean and anybody else listening. If you guys want to be, um, a shout out for the week, man, just, just, it's pretty simple. Reach out to us or, or, you know, shoot a text or a comment in the live and just show that you're being interactive, shout out the show, whatever, what, um, whatever you do, we all appreciate it regardless. Um, so again, Sean, thank you. And Robert, we miss you absolutely. But I guess without further ado, man, let's go ahead and talk about these vols, man, because I think we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, we we got something to talk about. Of course, uh, like we said, game went exactly how we thought it would. And Georgia yeah. ended up covering. Uh, I did not expect a seventy-five yard touchdown run from Jalen Wright right off the bat, but uh, like you said, from there it just kind of went downhill. Um, Georgia just methodically. I mean, took apart Tennessee's defense. It it's not that Tennessee's defense necessarily played bad. It was just Georgia was they they were finding the the gaps in the defense. They're finding the holes, and it seemed like every single play that Georgia run was perfect for whatever defense that Tennessee was in at the time. Well, I mean, Tennessee was kind of fighting an uphill battle. Um, Georgia, unfortunately for Tennessee, was probably the healthiest they've been all season. Um, between the running backs, the you know obviously Brock Bowers was back, um, but then what, what, why I say that's even more dangerous is not only are they back healthy, that's their star players, but then you're facing their backups that are coming in when they rotate. And now they have in-game experience for quite some time. So I mean, it was it was really an uphill battle. Defense didn't lay down. I'm not going to say they played good, um, but I always had to say and kind of in the stands, I'm like Ben, don't break. And we did that in the first drive. I was really you know I was proud of it. We capitalized when, you know, Georgia had a fumble on the first drive. I think it made it like second 18. We made a bonehead timeout call for some reason when we would have clearly stopped them. Um, obviously, that's kind of hindsight because you call the timeout before the play was ran. Um, by the way, Neyland was so loud during that series 
that we actually broke the decibel record in college football at 137 decibels. And not to, not to call shots, but we don't pump our decibel level, all right, like like some folks at Stanford Stadium do. Sanford Stadium, excuse me. Because I can promise you there's no way they got up to 125, 130 like they said they did. But, uh, no, that was pretty cool. Um, fortunately for Georgia, that was about as loud as it got, and it was uh, not even close, really, to that level of noise after about the first quarter. Um, but, no, I'm – it's it's frustrating. I was uh, I was kind of mixed emotions um, about the game. Georgia did exactly what I thought they were going to do, so I'm not going to really talk about you know how dominant they were because we knew they would score. I mean, I, I knew they were going to score 30 points. I knew they were going to score 38. I was just hoping that we would score more than 10. Um, it's just so unfortunate that our offense can't put together a methodical drive. It, it's either home run play or nothing. Um, you, you come out. You score on the very first play of the game, right? And then the next two drives are three and out, three and out. Um, that can't happen. And, no. you know, as much as I hated to do this, because I know it's a big game, but I was ready for Nico in the second half. Joe Milton had zero responsibility for why we even scored in the first place. So at that point in my mind, it wasn't necessarily too late to put in Nico. But I'm also torn because I know if you throw in Nico, Nico can't play defense. So they're going to score 38 points regardless if Nico is in or not. But I guess my whole point is it's 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 about time for the changing of the guards, in my opinion. And uh, the last two weeks, the offense has scored 17 points. That's just not going to get it done, man. Um, you're talking about an offense that I think played, I don't know, 14 of their first 15 games under Heupel and scored 30 in all of them. So, I mean, it's it's crazy to see the last two weeks just the lack of production. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say that I'm there on the changing in the guard. But then again, at the same time, you know, it's it's right there. Why not? The Why not? I mean, what's, what's your what's your take on it? I mean, it, it's, it is right there at the end of the season. You don't I mean, have game. a whole lot else to, to play for. You already got a bowl game. So, why not give Nico some experience? But then again, it's it's one more regular season game, and we don't we don't know what Joe's going to do. He could opt out of the bowl game. I don't see him doing that. I think that he'll stick around just because of his allegiance to Tennessee. I mean, he stayed this long. Why why do you go ahead and leave in a bowl game? I, I think that he would stay there for his teammates. It, it's not like he's going to be a top draft pick or anything. Um, I don't think he's a draft pick. Period. You you might be right on there, unless it's one of those situations like with Anthony Richardson where the scouts see his upside behind it. But, you know, then again, he hasn't lived up to that hype that everyone gave him at the beginning of the year. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that I think that at this point, you kind of you kind of stick to, to what you're doing. Probably an unpopular opinion. I've seen a lot of people calling for Nico, but I I mentioned to you I've got a little soapbox that I want to go on. I won't spend too much time on, but I've seen a lot of people that are frustrated with Josh Hype. Oh yeah. And, and, and I will say, you know, and, and I'm gonna ask you, are there decisions that you feel the coaching staff, especially Josh Heupel, has made this year that have been questionable? Um I'm gonna just give you a short answer. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, I agree. There's some that that I have had questions about, but I'm also going to go back. 
Are there questions that you had about Jeremy Pruitt there? Yeah. Absolutely. What's Jones? Yeah. Absolutely. Probably so, the worst was Bush Jones. So there there were questions about all of them. But I, I've got the these stats pulled up right here, uh printed off that I want to read out. So not including Philip Fulmer, the last few head coaches for Tennessee. Lane Kiffin, yeah, we didn't get a whole lot of um we didn't get a whole lot of I guess insight on what he would have done as a head coach because he was only here for that one year and left. But right, he was. But Lane Kiffin's one year was very similar to Josh Heupel's first year. It, exactly, it was eerily similar. They, yeah. He had a seven and six year. He went four and four in the conference. Yep. Derek Dooley. He was here for three years. His overall record was fifteen and twenty one. He was four and nineteen in the conference. Hang on. So before you before you do this, because I know what you're doing, I think I know what you're doing. Are you trying to say that because Josh Heupel's first three years are better than the previous four coaches, that it's considered okay to be mediocre? I, I'm not going to say that. I, I just want to I want to show these stats right here, and then kind of compare these coaches. As okay. far as as far as how how their record went or how their tenure went at yeah. Tennessee, I got you. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. So, Bush Jones, he he was there for what? Let's see, 20, 2013 to twenty seventeen, coached in fifty one games. He was thirty four and twenty seven. He had a good record overall. Josh Dobbs had that. Josh Dobbs yes, had yeah, that. Absolutely, yeah. Josh Dobbs did. 14 and 24 in the conference over those years. Yep. And lost to Vanderbilt twice, three times. Twice, yeah. Twice, yeah. Um, Jeremy Pruitt, of course, some of these were vacated. So that's why his record looks a lot worse than it is, but he still wasn't good. He was here for three years. He was five and 19, two and 16 in the conference. (laughs) Josh Heupel threw. 28 games so far. He is 20 and 8 and is 10 and 6 in the conference. That could be a lot better, but when you compare to these other coaches, it's no question that Josh Heupel is a better coach. Now, I'm not saying that going forward that these stats right here mean that Josh Heupel is going to be the guy. He he's going to be the guy that turns everything around. And I've seen a lot of people talk about his uh, career at UCF as a head coach. You know, he took over for it. Started up high and, and just kind of steadily declined. Yeah, but but you look, you also add in the COVID year there. Everybody struggled. He had the yeah. COVID year there. And he still was over 500 that year. Yeah. I think that, I, I think that Josh Heupel is the guy for Tennessee right now. I, I really yeah. do. I did not have this feeling with any of the other coaches. And you're gonna you're gonna you've got to expect a down year this year no, to yeah. the year that Tennessee had last year because they they overachieved in both of his first two years. You went from seven and six to eleven and two. Yeah, and St. John. And at the beginning of the season, I know me and you predicted Tennessee to go ten and two, but how many predictions did you see out there of Tennessee going eight and four or nine and three? I mean, nine and three, nine and three was the the general 
prediction, and that was losses to um, that was losses to to Georgia, Alabama, and then you kind of had a coin flip between A and M and Florida. That I mean, that was kind of like the two biggest other, you know, and that's why eight and four and and nine and three were so popular is because everybody knows history, and we don't beat Florida that often, and they were absolutely right. Um, I I don't know if a lot of people are necessarily saying Josh Heupel is the problem. I think I've seen people, a lot of people saying that. I uh, see. See, I don't. I don't think so. I think there needs to be some coaching changes, assistance wise. Willie Martinez, yeah. bro, he's got to go. Tim Banks, I have I have questions. I do. I, now I get it. I get it. Defenses play better this year than they have, like the last I don't know seven years. But back to back games where you're giving up thirty five plus, and it's. Yeah, the offense ain't scoring, but these last two games, it's not like the offense. I've been defending the defense a lot of times when we give up 40 points because so many times there's a scooping score or we turn the ball over on our own side. That hasn't really happened the last – yeah, because when we turned the ball over against Missouri, we were on their side of the field. Um, Well, Tennessee yesterday didn't even turn the ball over once. That's what I'm saying. So, like, the defense is actually giving that up now. And when you're blitzing as much as they were yesterday, which I love to see, you can't play a soft zone. Like you gotta press, you gotta man press when you're blitzing four or five, six, seven guys. That sometimes they were, and um, you know it just was. It's almost like we were wanting to be aggressive, but wouldn't actually throw the freaking kitchen sink. Like we were kind of like reserved by being aggressive. Like, and at the end of the day, you see what happened. Um, I do think there needs to be coaching changes. I'm not going to sit here and say Josh Heupel is not the guy. I think that's re- that's redundant. That's that's stupid. That's ignorant. Um. But uh, I do think that we were supposed to have a down year this year. Not supposed to. That's a that's a bad reference. But it was expected. The problem is, my point is, the losses that we have had have been so bad. Like, they're not even close games. It's like our team just lays down and just takes it. Um, that is, I think, more of a question mark on the coaching staff than anything because – I mean, yeah, we played hard in the first half of Bama game, but, dude, we folded in the second half. We were lucky it was only another 30 minutes because I promise you Bama would have scored another 40. I mean, it was – it's, but I think that's the issue there. Um, but I, I could be wrong. Right on, I think you're right on that, but I also think that there is not a real big player leadership out there. You know, last year you had Hendon Hooker. Uh, at the helm on offense, that he was that he was one hundred percent that leader out there. You had yeah. um, you had Jeremy Banks on defense. He was that vocal leader. He was that guy that everybody looked to. And you know you don't really have that this year. You've got Joe Milton. You expected to be that guy, but he's not that. He doesn't have that same men. I, I won't say mentality, but um, he doesn't have the the same leadership qualities that Hendon Hooker does. Aaron Beasley, it, he doesn't have those same qualities that Jeremy Banks does. I do think that Keenan Pilly was going to be that guy before he got hurt. So I think that, why that loss hurt really bad. Yeah. yeah that's why it did, it did hurt really bad. So I now, think that's part of it because you look at uh, – we'll just take Michigan, for example. Without yeah. head coach, they are still having lots of success because of the player leadership that they have on that field. And I just don't think that Tennessee has that. And I think that that is a big issue. But I also agree with you. I think that there does need to be some staff changes going into next year. I mean, it's 
it's three years in and you're seeing a lot of the same problems that you saw from game one of season one under Josh Hyde. I like the Michigan reference there, but also uh, Tennessee's players could beat uh, University of Tennessee Southern University Junior High School State Community College, whatever. You name it. <laughs> I mean, Michigan's literally only played like one competitive game. Um, Pitts, I mean, they almost lost to Maryland, dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get your point. I, I'm the 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 verbal leaders on this team are are not necessarily not necessarily not who you would think because Joe Milton's one of them. The problem with Joe Milton being a verbal leader, um, not that there is really a problem. I mean, you want your quarterback to be that. But the problem, the problem is he's not that superstar player. So he's a verbal leader in the huddle and at practices and whatnot, but he's not necessarily backing it up on the field. Now he's played great at times, um, I guess statistically. But like when you watch the games, you just know he's he's you know not not making the right read or you know uh, overthrowing somebody. Like he had several yesterday that was just like what the crap, dude. Um, but uh, you know who the second most verbal leader is, and I know this because when they were doing the huddle and breaking it down, I actually watched him yell at the team, getting pumped up. Just take a guess who you would think. And no, he's not a starter, and and he's arguably not even second string. So guess who the next verbal leader is on this team? You got me on this one. I, I was going to say Nico, but you said he's technically not even second string, so maybe – I said maybe arguably. Arguably not even second string. Don't even think quarterbacks here. Dylan Sampson. I can the see sophomore, that. The sophomore. I can, that. I, I can see that. He is literally the second – Biggest vocal leader on this team. He's a sophomore running back that's arguably third string on this team. And that's that's your leadership. Now, that's nothing. That's not a knock to Dylan Sampson. Please do not twist my words. I'm just saying you've got to have more. You've got to have bigger dudes on both sides of the ball be verbal leaders for this team so that when you do make a boneheaded play, you're sitting there slapping them on the back of the helmet like, hey, man, forget it. Line up, play the next play. You're not seeing that. Like, last year, you've seen it a lot with Byron Young. You've seen it with Jeremy Banks. Jeremy Banks would freaking get on to somebody. Yeah. But as good as freaking Aaron Beasley is, he's not that guy. For some reason. I don't know why. Um, But I do have to talk about winners, man. Um, God dang. the That Bell kid. That reci- the, I don't. I didn't even know who he was, I'll be honest. Um, but he threw, I think he caught one. He might even rush for a touchdown. Um, it was weird because Georgia did exactly what I thought Tennessee needed to do. And that was kind of come out with these trickery, you know, mis misdirection plays. No, Georgia was doing that and they were capitalizing on it. I mean, that play where the running back or the wide receiver bell threw that touchdown, we crashed so hard on that sweep that that dude was just wide open. Um, but uh, Georgia, man, they they're just proving everybody wrong. I mean, I've seen so many people, which they shouldn't have, because I think that was that hurt Tennessee a lot. Is you know, oh, the one true game that you know Georgia played on the road was against Auburn, and we all seen how how much they struggled. Uh, thanks, douchebags, because they came out firing against Tennessee, brother. Um, I don't know. That just wow. Georgia, Alabama in a couple of weeks is gonna be fun to watch. I have been saying it for the last few weeks. Georgia, the way that they're playing now, they, they've got everybody back and healthy. Now, Ladd McConkey didn't play much yesterday. Uh, didn't play at all, actually. 
he he um he got to the game, started stretching and all that, and had a lot of stiffness in his back. You know, he's he's been having issues with that back all year. Um, but other yeah, than that, they were, they were they were healthy, and the way that they have been playing together these last few weeks, I don't see any team in the nation beating them. Even Alabama now, Alabama, and we'll get to them here in just a minute. That's our next game we're going to talk about. Alabama is playing lights out here the last few weeks too, but even Alabama at their best, if Georgia is playing their best, I think it's still a two-point difference. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not going to – If both teams are playing at their best, now I, that, that means both of them have to be playing almost mistake-free. Yes. I think, I think it's a ten-point difference. I, I'm not going to predict that. I'm going to yeah. say that game is going to be decided within a touchdown. Uh, but I, I think at their both teams at their best, Georgia is ten points better than Alabama. I, I mean, they're both good, man. They're both good. I, I would say that Bama has more flaws than Georgia. I would say that. But yeah. I do think when Bama's clicking, their potential is probably just as high as Georgia's when they're clicking. I mean, um, yeah. But Tennessee, man, I do want to talk about just the overall, I guess, outlook of the team. You know, they they fought a seven and four, and this is going to hurt to say, but we actually have a losing record right now in the SEC. We're three and four in a conference. Back to back losses by thirty plus points. Um, is this a, is this a team in give up mode? I I don't. I don't think so because of the effort that Tennessee, especially on defense, still played with. I know that the defense necessarily didn't play good yesterday, but they were still flying around yesterday. And that that was, for the most part, there were still times, but that was, for the most part, one of the best tackling games I've seen Tennessee have. There were still moments where, you know, there was broken tackles, but there was a lot of times where – they they would hit that guy and wrap him up and you know where you would see players in the past for Tennessee especially in that secondary just try to knock the crap out of somebody and wouldn't wrap up I I saw a lot more of that yesterday than I have in the past I will say somebody that stepped up really early in the game now he he did make some mistakes as the game played on but I mean who doesn't Andre Turrentine uh, yes. he came up he came up on a on a sweep and and just blew it up for like a two or three yard loss and just beat the blockers out there on the edge. That was a really good flash in the pan type of play that kind of showed you, hey, this guy's got potential. Um, now that's a transfer from Ohio State that's just not really clicked, um, but his opportunity was called. He made a big play and and who knows, maybe we'll see more of him in the future. I think he's going to be, I think he is going to be, you know, in the rotation for sure next year with some guys leaving. Like the, uh, I guess Danico Slaughter's a senior, and I didn't know that. Yeah, Danico so, Slaughter, uh, Jalen McCullough, uh, Warren yeah. Burrow. So, Turrentine's going to have to step up, man. Um, and, you know, like you said, they made some plays. They were flying around. I'm not going to say they played good. You give up 38 to anybody, I'm not going to say you play good. But um, at the end of the day, the offense has to help the defense and the fact that if we can sustain a drive and not go three and out, man, our defense once again was on the field so much in the first and second quarters. That just can't happen. That can't happen. I don't know. I think, I think the offense may have only ran seven plays in the first quarter because we went, we went and we scored the very first play, and then went three and out, three and out. Yep, you're you're right on that. I mean, that just can't happen, dude. Um, but again, this was an outcome that was very expected. I said it, dude. That, dude, I, 
I wish I had a bet money on this game because I said Neyland Stadium would be empty by the fourth quarter. My God, was I right, dude. I mean, there was nobody left. They did a – I think CBS did like an aerial view in the fourth quarter when you could – in like two. That was embarrassing. But, you know, we stayed – we stayed till about eight minutes left, and then my wife was like, I'm really cold. And I'm like, yeah, they're not putting in Nico either, so I guess we can go ahead and leave. And then uh, um, I will say the traffic was pretty nice leaving. It wasn't that bad. Um, you did get no, to see Smokey 11 yesterday, too. I did what? You got to see Smokey 11 yesterday, too. I did. I, did. I think that was Smokey 11. My mom was making me doubt it. She was like, that's not Smokey 11. I'm like, yeah, it is. Smokey 10 was, like, way bigger. And, like, looked older like the dog at the ball walk looked like a younger dog i'm like i'm pretty positive that's smoky 11 but yeah. if i'm wrong i'm wrong i've been wrong before but uh and we'll be wrong about, that's exactly right but uh let's wrap that thing up man cbs game of the week georgia's 11 and 0 8 and 0 they're rolling they're going to take on georgia tech which will be a, a warm-up game for the sec championship in a couple weeks and uh you know hats off to them man they are by far the best team in the nation i stand by that and the last thing I have, you know, shout out to Georgia. I mean, they they just tied the SEC record yesterday for most consecutive wins in a row at 28. Um, yeah. You can take a guess at who has the – or who whose record they just tied with that. Bama. Yep. Bama and had they, two different streaks of 28. Did you know that? And they also have one of 27. And maybe it's the 27 one. I was going to say both the streaks of 28 are not under Nick Saban. Yeah, the 27 one was under Nick Saban. The other two were under um, Bear Bryant. But, um, but yeah, Georgia's going to break that this weekend. Bear Bryant was built by General Robert Nealon. I'm just, exactly throwing that right. out. just throwing that out there, all right? Um, yeah, no, I'm joking. Bear Bryant never did beat, uh, never did beat Robert Nealon. So. No, he didn't. And, and, and Bear Bryant will even admit that everything he learned was from Robert Nealon. Like, um, so I'm just, just throwing that out there. No, I'm joking. Well, so see, basically, what we're Bear saying Bryant. is Tennessee built Bama. That's what we're saying. Yeah, yeah that, that's exactly what we're saying. <laughs> uh, but, but speaking of Bear Bryant, uh, Alabama yesterday played against Chattanooga. Uh, they won sixty-six to ten. Uh, not a whole lot to take away from this game, other than um, Alabama took care of business and Ty Simpson got to get in yesterday and play some, and he didn't look bad. He didn't. Did you watch this game by chance? I watched the third quarter of it. Um, I okay. spent I spent the first half because I was real interested in uh, the Mississippi State game. So yes. I watched the first half of that one, but I did watch the third quarter of this one when uh, Ty Simpson was in. And so, uh, so Ty Simpson's stat line, and everybody's talking about it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same. Um, his rushing stat is one attempt for 78 yards, and he should have had a touchdown. However. Numb nuts. <laughs> he dropped the ball at the half yard line. And uh if you watch the replay of it, dude, Nick Saban doesn't even look at him. Like it I I in fact, Ty Simpson may hit the transfer portal. Um it, it was not a easy scene. Like if you put yourself in his position and you're right next to Nick Saban and that happens, because like after the review, you know, it's like, hey, and the and the referee said it so don't like Almost as if the referee didn't want to say it, but he had to say it because it's the fact. Because the referee was like, after evidence, or, or there was evidence showing that the that Ty Simpson dropped the ball at the half-yard line, bro. When he said that, Ty Simpson dropped his helmet. And Nick Saban just kind of was like, you dumbass. <laughs> but 
it wasn't that big of a deal. They scored the very next play, I think. Um, dude, it was it was a blowout. But again, we all knew that was coming. They're going to play Auburn next week, um, which is always a big rivalry. I don't think it's going to be much of a competition because we'll talk about that later. Um, but again, you're you're talking about the top two teams in the SEC about to square off in two weeks. How, as a Nick Saban or Kirby Smart, how do you keep these teams locked in for for this week's game, knowing that your season rides on next week. I don't think that Nick Saban's got to worry about keeping Alabama locked in for this Iron Bowl. I I think that these guys know that anything can happen in this game. They've seen it in the past, especially with it being at Jordan Hare. And I think that the personality that Kirby Smart has and just his uncanny ability to somehow motivate his teams that they're going to go seven and five, even though – that people are saying they're going to go seven and five when they're obviously going to be undefeated, win another national championship. I don't think that there's going to be any problems for Kirby Smart to motivate his team against Georgia Tech. But uh, one thing I have about Alabama that I do want to touch on, um, yeah, we talked a time or two this year about the uh, special teams issues that Alabama has in the return game with Kool Aid McKinstry. You know, in the past few years, there's been times where, you know, they've moved after balls that they shouldn't have, like in the Tennessee game last year. Uh, Kool-Aid has also muffed a few points this year, and he muffed one yesterday. Yeah. And Saban jerked him out after that and put in freshman Caleb Downs. His first attempt at a return yesterday, 85-yard return for a touchdown. And he was making guys miss left and right. He absolutely embarrassed that Chattanooga punter on a juke move. And I, I think the Alabama has found their new return man. And if that's the one weakness that Alabama had on this team, they just filled it. Well, Caleb Downs has been talked about all offseason as the most talented freshman secondary player, you know, in the nation. And he's living up to that. He's had the starting role at Alabama since the very first game of the week or of the year. And now you're starting to see him, um, how electric he is with the ball in his hands too. kind of reminds you of like a, I mean, a D Williams type of player. Yeah. That, you know, for Caleb Downs, it's it's another opportunity to give him the ball, you know, because he's not an offensive player, kind of like D. Williams. He's not either. But you're seeing us and how we're begging to get D. Williams the ball more because, let's face it, on kickoffs, nobody's returning the ball when it's – I mean, everybody's good enough to kick it out of the end zone. Um, so hats off to Bama to, to open up a little bit, not make so many promises to the players and not afraid to hurt feelings to make changes to, to better the team, if you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> but – um, and shout out to Caleb Downs for taking advantage of that opportunity. I mean, that that's a big deal. I know it's against Chattanooga, but it's not about it being against Chattanooga. It's about him setting, you know, the foundation down. Now he's going to have the confidence to to do it in the future against Auburn and uh, you know against Georgia. So, yeah, absolutely. So next, uh, next game that we have on the schedule, we have Mississippi State and Southern Miss, and this is one going in that. We kind of talked about – well, you did a little bit more than I did about a possible upset spot, and that's why I was so interested in this game, especially the way it started out. Uh, Southern Miss <laughs> took the lead to start the game. Yeah. And, um, Mississippi Carried State – into the first quarter. Yeah, Mississippi yeah. State was struggling in the, at the beginning of this game. No, I want to shout out Mississippi State, man. I mean, with all the negativity around the, the program the last week or two, um, for them to come back out and, and – and Southern Miss is not good, don't get me wrong. Um, but this was a perfect kind of layover spot for Mississippi State to come in drowsy, which they kind of did. They kind of got smacked in the mouth, but 
for them to be able to take that take that adversity and still score 41 points and and win the game ultimately uh that showed me a lot man um i I did have my doubts uh apparently it was the wrong team that i had my doubts on um but uh mississippi state big win here uh shout out to you know will rogers he didn't have a great day i'll be honest 12 and 27 for 144 yards i mean just not a great day but he did have some touchdowns in there um it was also his first it was it was mississippi state's it was Mississippi State's running game. I mean, they they kind of controlled the game. You had Pittman with almost 100 yards. You had Davis with 50, um, Marks with 34, and then you had Mike Wright come in, run the ball a couple times, and and a 21 yard run. Um, that that was big. Uh, ultimately, not much more to take from it. I didn't really watch the game play by play because there was there was other games on. But uh, I was very shocked to see the final score on this one. But hats off to Mississippi State. I do want to throw something out there that you brought up um, a few weeks ago. And, you know, I, I don't think that we're necessarily right. But I, I do want to kind of um, throw this bone out here and give you a bone on this. So, um, Will Rogers, this was his first game back from injury. And it's the game after uh, Zach Arnett gets fired. And you brought it up a few weeks ago. Do you think Zach Arnett and Will Rogers were kind of button heads or disagreeing a little bit, and maybe that's why Will Rogers uh, wasn't coming back in time? Or was it this shoulder injury really kept him out as long as it has? Uh, me personally, I think that it was a shoulder injury, but it is kind of it, it is kind of fun to think about that maybe, maybe them two didn't really get along and Will Rogers was kind of sitting out because of that. I'm not going to really, I mean, I could see it if you talk about like the human element of the game, like Will Rogers just kind of having spite on the head coach. I've had a head coach like that in my high school where playing football just wasn't fun under him. In fact, I sat my junior year because it just wasn't the guy for me. Like, and uh, kind of took away the fun in the sport. I, I think Will Rogers may have been going through that, but then I also know that this is his last season. I don't think he would really waste an opportunity regardless how badly he hates the situation. Because um, I, I don't think he has another year left. I don't think he has a COVID year. No, um, he, he's done after this year. That's what I'm saying. So I don't I don't think he would have wasted an opportunity if he had it just out of spite. Um, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a lean that this was due to the, the injury. I think it's just a big coincidence that he's coming back when, when Zach – but now I will say this. I've always said it. I don't think they do get along. So I think this was – I think it's kind of a little bit of both, really. I mean, it, I don't think Will Rogers really liked Zach Arnett, um, not even in the slightest, to be honest with you. And, I mean, anybody could really see that. I mean, let's just be honest. You had a defensive-minded head coach coming into Will Rogers, who has been so heavy offense, so big pass play type, and then it just completely flipped on its head. Um, that's not what Will Rogers signed up for when he came back. I can promise you that. So. But let's move on to the next game and uh, kind of an ugly one, sort of, until the second half. But uh, UL Monroe went into Oxford and was was really competitive for the first half. Yeah, the first half, it was 7-3 to three at halftime. And I did not watch any of this game, but um, Ole Miss kind of slipwalked coming into this game a little bit. Um, third quarter, they came out and they scored three touchdowns and blew it wide open and then uh, added another one in the fourth quarter. But um, 
But yeah, I, I kind of flipped over there for a minute just kind of see what was going on. And then I was like, well, I kind of want to watch this Mississippi State game just to see if Mississippi State gets it going. Because at that time, it was still a decent game against Southern Miss. But um, yeah, you know what what's crazy about this game? What's that? Quinson Judkins was shut down. 18 runs for 65 yards and couldn't find the end zone. In fact, one of those runs were 20 yards. So let's just say 17 runs, right, for 45 yards. And I know you can't take away that one. I I get it. That's part of the game that's in there. But, dude, I mean, just credit to ULM's, I guess, rush defense. They shut him down, um, which is kind of eye-opening. I mean, Maybe that's just the offensive line thinking that they were going to be able to move them around, kind of sleptwalk like you mentioned. But at the end of the day, you're still talking about one of the SEC's best running backs just not having a day at all. And really, it was the entire run game that was shut down. I mean, Ole Miss Miss only ran for 127 yards yesterday. Jackson Dart had to throw for 310, and Spencer Sanders, when he came in, threw for 61. So they threw for a total of 371 yards yesterday just to beat ULM. And four tutties. I mean, they only had one rushing touchdown. Um, in a game where you would think that would be, you know, padding some stats, right? But no, quite the opposite, really. They had to throw the ball to beat UL Monroe. Um, but at the end of the day, they did it. So well, credit you know, to them. You know what I take away from this game after looking at those stats right there? What's that? So Ole Miss's two losses on the year are to who? They're to Alabama and to Georgia. Georgia. The, the two two best teams in the conference. They didn't do a lot of things well in those games, but what I take away from this is they're they're more than likely going to get a New Year's Six Bowl or get a really high bowl, meaning they're going to play against a good team. So I think if that team that they play tries to take away one or the other of these uh, of the running game or the passing game for Ole Miss, the other one can take over in that game. So, for instance, I think that ULM came into this game yesterday wanting to shut down the run game make them pass the ball, and that's exactly what Ole Miss did to win the game. And I I truly think that if a team comes in wanting to shut down Ole Miss's passing game, their running game can win the game for them. That's yeah. what I take away from this game is Ole Miss, they can do it either found way. Ways. Yeah, found ways to do it regardless. I got you. Um, you know what's crazy is like Ole Miss's two losses are to, to Alabama and Georgia. You got Missouri's two losses are to Georgia, LSU. Just hypothetically, who wins between Missouri and Ole Miss? You're talking about the number three, number four teams in the SEC. I think if you were to – this is neutral site, correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, let's let's just say it's a bowl game and it's Ole Miss versus Missouri, which I, I would watch that. I think sitting here today, I would give a slight, and I mean a slight edge to Missouri because their defense is better than Ole Miss's defense. Okay, fair. All right. I would, I would if watch you're, that 100%. If you're going strictly based on offense, I'm going to take Ole Miss in the game. But when you yes. add in both elements of it, I think that slight edge goes to Missouri. But see, this is why the SEC is better than the Big Ten. I mean, you, you got Alabama, Georgia, which is, let's just say, that's your Michigan, Ohio State. But then you have Ole Miss and Missouri and LSU, which would kind of be like your Penn State of mm-hmm. Big Ten. And then Big Ten's Nobody else. <laughs> like, yeah. they do have a flash in the pan in the SEC West in Iowa. Um, but let, let's just be real. An offense. 
Uh, that's what I'm saying. Let's be real. I mean, they're only playing. They're only playing Go ahead. Speaking of Iowa, did you see what the score of that Iowa Illinois game was at one time? Like 15, 15 to thirteen. What was? I think that was the final. That was the final. The score at one point yesterday was three to two. <laughs> the game started off two to nothing because Iowa got a safety. Then Illinois ended up kicking a field goal and it made it three to two. But you see the point I'm trying to make, right? Yes, like exactly. I see you, we bro. just have more top teams, if, if that makes sense. Like, you know, because obviously at the end of the day, the conference is going to beat each other up, but that's in every conference. That's why you play conference games. But, mm-hmm. you know, even after that, you still have multiple teams that are right there in that high tier two type, you know, level. Um, and I'm not even putting Tennessee there because they don't no, deserve to be there this year. Tennessee right now is in tier three of the SEC. And, and, and the only reason, and but they're high tier three because the only reason I'm going to say that is because people will forget this, and that's okay. Um, three of Tennessee's four losses right now, those three teams are in the top ten. Yes. Missouri, Alabama, Georgia. We've only had one loss, and it was it was an ugly one, to Florida, right, at the beginning of the season. Um, now. The other thing that kind of sucks is all all those losses were not really competitive. I mean, our most competitive game was against Alabama. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're still facing – I mean, you give give Penn State that schedule. Give Michigan – Michigan. I'll even throw in Michigan because I they haven't played anybody, I'll be honest. Um, I just don't think they're near as dominant as they appear once they – you know, they're just not being tested. Um, but, uh, you know, that's my little rant there. We can move on. Yep. Next game, won't spend a lot of time on this one either. Texas A&M and Abilene Christian. And this is another one where Texas A&M kind of sleptwalked a little bit in the first half. It was 17-7 to at the half, 7-7 to at the end of the first. Um, and in the second half, um, there was a targeting called uh, that was uh, called on Abilene Christian on a hit on quarterback Jalen Henderson. And Jalen kind of got up a little bit slowly and um, – it targeting ended up being over overruled there. Uh, they went and reviewed it and determined it was not targeting. It looked like it to me, though. Um, but they immediately jerked out Jalen Henderson because he is their third string quarterback right now. And I mean, he he's not he's not playing bad. Uh, but a shout out to Marcel Reed as well, the backup quarterback that came in for Texas A&M after that. He is actually a product of, uh, I believe, Brentwood Academy in Nashville. Um, His very first collegiate pass was a 13-yard touchdown pass. Love to see it. It looks to be like his only attempt. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was his only attempt. I was looking to see if he tried running the ball. Uh, Does not look like he did. I don't see a rush for him anywhere. But uh, in the end, Texas A&M ended up taking care of business. Kind of off from the game. Uh, well, do you do you have any notes on on this game right here? Yeah, I I did see a highlight. So shout out. They apparently had a kickoff team full of walk ons, and yeah, I they, about that. they they actually generated a turnover. So um, I've never seen that level of excitement and anything from a kickoff team. But man, they deserved it. Man, you, those guys are out there practicing just as much as the guys that get uh, a scholarship, get their schooling for free. No, they're paying for their school and they're doing the practicing. Um, and to see them have their moment and they, they took advantage of it. That was, uh, that was pretty cool to see, man. That was, that was going viral yesterday. Yeah. They, they generated a turnover, but it was ended up being overruled because the guy's forearm was actually down before that second tackle. Oh, whatever. I don't care. But I mean, it's still, 
still, I mean, it, it was it was an awesome moment seeing that. I had, I had forgotten to bring that up. I'm glad that you did. But um, real quick, I don't want to spend but just a minute on this. Who do you think that Texas A&M should hire to replace Jimbo? So I actually had a really good feeling on this one, but I think it, it just came out that reports it's not going to happen. I really thought they were going to take the Lions head coach, Dan Campbell. Um, he's a Texas A&M alum. Um, and you could see what he'd done with, with the Lions organization and how he's been able to flip that thing around. Um, I, I really thought that's who they were going to. And, and he admitted that they did reach out to him. So I, I was on the right track there. Um, but now you kind of have to sit back and kind of zoom out a little bit because I wouldn't have ever thought that Texas A&M would have made this coaching move without knowing who their guy was. Like I would have thought they would have pretty much done a handshake deal behind the table or behind the scene to basically say, all right, when we pull the trigger, you're the guy. Um, that's actually not the case. I don't think as of right now, A&M has a single clue who their head coach is, um, which is kind of crazy to me that they would make a move this big based on their program being stuck in neutral. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, you make a move that big when your program is in reverse. I mean, this program's in neutral. You could have taken your time with this. Instead, they they elected to do the opposite. They made sure they had the money to do it, and then they did it. Um, I just really would have thought they would have had their guy. Um, I know that there's some speculation um, about some other current active head coaches. I mean, I've even heard Dabo's name being thrown out there. Which he shut that one down. I, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, he's he's got an easier schedule and probably just as many resources out in Clemson as he would in and it like that would almost be a lateral, if not a, a a worse situation that he's in right now at Clemson. Um, so I, that made no sense to me. Um, I I think a decent option, and this is going to be a wild card, but it's just an idea that I had. Eli Drinkwoods. Now, the that, reason why he's fair. the reason why he probably won't do it is I think he I, I don't know if he went to school to Missouri, but I um, but to see what he's done with that program that actually does have less resources, um, I think that he could possibly take over A and M. And as much as I hate Eli Drinkwoods, um, that proof is in the pudding. I mean, he's doing it not with a superstar quarterback. It, Cook's good. Don't get me wrong. Um, but Jimbo probably wouldn't have done anything that he's done without a superstar quarterback. And that's the mistake A&M did is they went all in on this guy because he won a national championship, but he had a great quarterback, um, which I guess in the end of the day, he recruited the great quarterback. I, I you know, I understand that. Um, but at the end of the day, that if I were to choose, and this is no insider information whatsoever, this is me kind of like an outsider looking in. Missouri, unfortunately, they're capped by circumstances out of their control that'll probably prevent them from being a national championship contender for a decent amount of time. I mean, you got to go through Georgia. Let's say you make it through Georgia. Now you got to go through Alabama, right? Um, now at A&M, you would have to do the same thing, but you would have the money and the resources to get better recruiting classes um, than Missouri can. And you have more to offer. Missouri doesn't have a big facility. They can only seat 60,000 people at their home games. Um, all that leads into you're missing 40,000 in ticket sales compared to like an A&M or a Tennessee when it comes to home games. And that's 40,000 tickets not sold, right? That's, that's less money you're making every weekend. Um, so I, 
I, that was my thought process, but it, my kind of like blew up when Dan Campbell came out in the Detroit Lions press conference and said that he wasn't doing it. I what, did what see you? something yesterday that um, more than likely they will not get a major power five coach just because the, the money that they just spent to get rid of Jimbo. You're I mean, not gonna... Robert's in the chat. Robert is in the chat. What's up, Robert? Robert, glad to see you, man. We're we're so glad that you're you're here with us today. So. Want to say good morning? What time zone are you in, my guy? Come on now. <laughs> hey, but it is a good Sunday. It's great to have you back, but but we missed you last week. Yeah, we sure did. But uh, right, go ahead. Continuing what I was saying there. So because of the money they just spent on Jimbo's buyout, you know that doesn't leave a whole lot that you can pay a major Power Five coach without them taking a pay cut. So. I think that they're going to go with uh, maybe a group of five coach or some up-and-comer. And And the name that I have seen a lot, I I forget what his name is, the guy from uh, UTSA. He's big on that right there. And actually, um, they showed the press conference after the the game Friday night that UTSA had. So it was their senior night. They got a big win. And somebody brought up uh, the Texas A&M job, and he goes, man, it's sad that we've got 18 seniors on this team just played their hearts out and got this win, and all you want to talk about is the Texas A&M job. Yeah. So he never really gave an answer on that, but I have I know that he has interviewed for it. He's come out and said that as well. I is think, that Mike Elko? Because I've heard of that name a lot. Uh, Mike Elko is the guy at Duke, and I okay. said that name. I, I think that that would be a good job because, once again, you, know, you mentioned the Dabo thing maybe being a lateral move. I think Mike Elko at Duke, that is making a jump up. But at the same time, you know, you can win at Duke, even with Florida State and Clemson and all that being bigger schools. I mean, Mike Elko got a win at Clemson or against Clemson this year. So yeah. I think that overall Mike Elko might be better off at Duke, but I think that it would be a it'd be worth a conversation for Texas AM to go talk to Mike Elko. Sacramento, California. Let's go, Robert. He had some family obligations last week. Nope, no worries, man. We forgive you, dude. It's good to have you back, though. I hope all is well with you. Um, and thank you for for making the chat lively for us. Um, but we're we're wrapping up this recap, man. We got several more games to talk about. Um, let's talk about one that was a head scratcher for everybody, and that is New Mexico State. I mean, just absolutely taking it to Auburn in a game that nobody anticipated because this was at Jordan Harry. You just never would have thought this would have happened. I think it was confirmed that Auburn paid New Mexico State $1.7 million. I saw. Okay, $1.8 million. Let's just make it worse for them to get their absolute butt kicked. (laughs) I do want to throw you a bone, though, because last week, you yeah. you may mention after looking back at New Mexico State schedule and how a lot of their games were were closer and stuff. You said, you know, do you think that yeah. this this could this could have some um, interest behind it as far as an upset? And I kind of shot that down because, like you said, I, the game was at Jordan Hare. I didn't think that that it would happen. Auburn's been playing really well yesterday as of late, and then yeah. There we go. New Mexico State, 31 to 10 over Auburn in Jordan Air. My problem with that game was when I was, you know, predicting it is I, I was kind of SEC biased. I don't want any SEC team to lose to, to a, a game like this, right? Um, but I was looking at New Mexico. I mean, they were sitting there at eight and three. Um, uh, 
I get it. It's Conference USA, but dude, they were six and one in their conference. Auburn was, you know, three and four in their conference, and and you know they were six and four. They were they were looking okay, right? That's why I went with Auburn at the end. But I just knew that if you're a program and you're just facing, let's let's just not even look at the record. You just look at New Mexico State, and you're like, oh yeah, that's a scrimmage. We got this easy dub. But then you fail to realize that that team knows how to win, and I think that's what happened, man. Auburn came out, got punched in the mouth immediately. Um, you know, seven to zero after the first quarter, they went into halftime and they were still losing ten to seven. And then what does New Mexico State do in the third quarter? Score another touchdown, and then just Auburn couldn't respond. Um, and it that was head scratching, man. I, and I didn't realize that this was happening when it happened because I was at the Tennessee game and. One of my buddies posted in like the third or fourth quarter. He was like, yeah, this is a loss, but at least we're not Auburn. And I was like, what do you mean by that? Like, what What do you mean? What do you mean, you know, we're not Auburn? So I started doing some research or tried to. And when I say research, I mean Facebook because that's my go-to. And I seen another thing. And it wasn't really what I needed to hear, but it was just like another like knock on Auburn. Like, man, it sucks to be Auburn. Or I bet Hugh Freeze is, uh, you know, regretting his coaching decisions. And I'm like, what are they talking about? So finally, I just looked it up. And I seen thirty one to ten loss final, and I'm like, oh my god, um, it kind of blew me away a little bit. But uh, I didn't watch the game, but just you know, as a head coach, knowing that you have to play Bama next week, yeah, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't watch this game either. But I can tell you where this game was won and lost. Auburn ran for sixty five yards yesterday, and that is where Auburn has to win games is running the football. Uh, so New Mexico State did exactly what they needed to. They forced Auburn to try to throw the ball. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Read out the rushing stats one more time. How, how many yards? 65. Okay, and that's with Peyton Thorne having 38. Yeah, 17 Brother. carries for 38 yards. Jarquez Hunter, who has had himself a nice few weeks, eight carries for 27 yards. New Mexico State didn't give up anything on the ground. Dude, that is insane. And, you know, shout out to Peyton Thorne. He didn't have himself a bad day through the air. He was 15 to 19, 148 yards and a touchdown. He had better stats yesterday than Joe Milton did, unfortunately. But when you only run for 65 yards and that is where your strength is on, on the season, uh, you're makes not going to have a lot of success. Makes you wonder why they didn't throw it more. I mean, it, 15 to 19, they only threw it 19 times and they were down. Like, you're in obvious passing situations. You know, Peyton Thorne didn't throw interceptions. Like, I don't know why they didn't try to throw the ball more. I mean, he was accurate with the ball, like you mentioned. Um, Peyton Thorne, by the way, had 38 of those rushing yards on 17 attempts. Yeah. It's not even like he ran it twice to get the – like, they just couldn't do anything on the ground, but for some reason kept forcing it. But now I'm looking at this, man. They they didn't run a lot of offensive plays. It yeah, almost looks like – it almost looks like New Mexico State just controlled the ball, dude. Like, Peyton Thorne had 19 passing attempts, um, and then rushing attempts, they had, like, what, 20? They had 26. 26? They ran 45 total plays yesterday. Yeah, so New I, Mexico I'm State a, just... Yep, time of possessions. New Mexico State, 38-50. Auburn, 21-10. Oh, that's it almost looks like a Tennessee time of possession because Tennessee, because of their offense, never has... When it's uh, clicking. Yeah, when it's clicking. They they never have a whole lot of, of time on the time of possession. But because when it's clicking, they normally score points. You know, Tennessee can win ball games. That 
Auburn only having 21 minutes of time of possession yesterday, that's not a recipe for success for them because that's not how their offense runs. I will thank you for throwing me a bone, by the way, even though I predict the wrong team on this. I did point out that New Mexico State's quarterback could be dangerous, and he was. Let's be honest. The dude threw for uh, 1928, 19 of 28, 201 yards, and three touchdowns. And he might have even ran. Yeah, he, he ran, ran eight it. times for, for another 35 yards. He didn't have a touchdown, but um, my, my man was exactly what I thought he could have been if he played to his full potential. And Auburn, unfortunately, was on the back, bad, bad end of that. Um, but Hugh Freeze, I guess the good thing for him, he did win three in a row before this. So they're going bowling regardless. Yeah, it's they're just, going bowling. You know, that's just not the way you want to end the season, especially when you just kind of assume that you're going to lose next week. Um, so to lose two in a row, which I shouldn't say that. I mean, they do have a fighting chance against Alabama. If any team has a chance against Nick Saban, it's, for some reason it's Auburn, um, even in their bad years. But I, I just, if we're being real here, if, if Auburn loses the final two, I mean, they could have been – seven to five pretty easily, but they overlooked their opponent and that's what happens, man. Yep. Uh, so. Moving on. This is, this is another game that I did not watch. It was, this game was on at the same time as a couple other good games. So it got overshadowed, uh, but shout out to Arkansas, Arkansas getting a win yesterday against Florida international 44 to 20. Um, KJ Jefferson, he, he did throw for three touchdowns yesterday, but his numbers weren't great. Uh, 15 of 28, 187 yards and three touchdowns. But when you look, Auburn ran, I mean, Arkansas ran for 323 yards on the ground, and KJ, he rushed for 90 of those. Um, I, I'm not sure how you say his name, Isaiah Augustave, I think. He was the leading rusher yesterday, 14 carries for 101 yards. I think it's Augustave or something like that. I, I could be completely wrong. Okay. Um, but yeah, no. So I do want to give a shout out to Arkansas. The good, good win. Um, and it has been confirmed that Sam Pittman will not be fired this year. Um, their athletic director came out yesterday or today, maybe this morning, um, and confirmed Sam Pittman will not be fired this year. He's still going to be the man. Now they have made some coaching changes around him. So maybe, maybe he's on the warm seat at the beginning of the year next year. Um, but you know, we were talking about, you know, head coaches being fired at three and a half. Like, that's a good line for it. And I kind of thought that was a great line because yeah. I I assumed that Sam Pittman was getting pulled this year, um, which would have put us at three coaches. And then a coach that we haven't really talked about because we thought about how good a situation has been, even though I know this segment's about Arkansas. Um, actually, I'll just save it for the next for the next uh, game because that's, that's who I'm wanting to talk about. But, uh, no, Arkansas came out. They got a win over FIU. It's a big, big win for them just because it's a win. Um, you know, it's a team that's not going bowling. So at this point, make the most of the final games you got. Um, and and they did here by doing that. Their defense still wasn't great, but uh, you know, it is what it is. They went in a halftime, I think up 31-13. So offense was clicking in the second quarter for sure. Uh yeah, in fact, they scored 24. Yeah, they scored 24 in the second quarter. So good good on them. Um, they kind of, you know, obviously took the foot off the pedal in the second half after that, which you never like to see. But uh, KJ, like you mentioned. I will say shout out. Um, one, one reason that, you know, they scored 24 is there was a pick six 
and I'm assuming that was in the second quarter of part of the 24 points there. Um, I'm not even going to attempt that first name, but Walcott, Arkansas. 33-yard interception return. Right on the money. I overlooked that. My bad. Um, But, yeah, I mean, so that's good on them, though, because as you see in November, man, a lot of teams go down that are not supposed to, and they stayed out of that conversation. Um, so, So good on them. Big win in Fayetteville. And, Probably a win that saves Sam Pittman uh, a whole nother year. Let's be honest. If if Sam Pittman lost this game, I don't think the athletic director comes out on the next day and says that your job is saved. Um, in fact, I think it's quite the opposite. So um, I know I know I always say that one game never really determines if you're getting fired or not. I seriously think that game might have been, you know, you're fired or you got another year for Sam Pittman, and I think he won, so he's got another year. And you know, hats off to him. But, yep. again, not a big game. None of us really watched that one. One that was a big game that we did watch 1,000%. Uh, Florida about did the unthinkable and beat Missouri and Como. And that's like, that's a big no-no. You don't go into Como and win, dude. That, that, that's against the rules. Um, but 31-33, Missouri gets a, a thriller win. I've got a uh, a not-so-hot take. After this season, Harrison Mevis will have a statue erected of him at Missouri. <laughs> the thicker kicker statue, bro. Yes, sir. Um, real quick, Robert Robert said that he's happy for Sam in Arkansas, and he does think that they'll make some positive coaching changes. And I think he's spot on the money. I I think they'll do the, the right thing around Sam, and hopefully he'll be able to keep cutting on that jukebox and drinking a beer after these wins. Um, but, no, I agree with you about Har- uh, Harrison Mevis, man. That – but now, let's be honest, the offense did a great job at not just getting to field goal range on a 4th and 17. And, by the way, we just skipped to the end of the game if y'all didn't watch it. 4th and 17, Missouri's not even on Florida's side of the football. And they convert. And that got them into field goal range for Harrison Mevis because basically you just got to cross the 50-yard line. And then, but credit to Missouri because they had about 15 or 16 seconds left, give or take. And no they went out. Yeah, and they went out and kept getting yards. So then you're talking about a 50-yard field goal to win it. No, no. They went on like a 27-yard field goal because yeah, they just they, they kept getting ten. Yeah, they just kept getting yards. I mean, hell, I honestly think they could have tried for a touchdown if they really wanted to. But um, So credit to Missouri and that, that two-minute drive because, I mean, it was very possible. It was fourth and 17. And I'm like, dude, Florida just did it. Like, what the crap? Florida's two wins this year are against Tennessee and Missouri that are worth talking about, right? And then they've had some ugly losses. But, like, it kind of reminds you of, like, South Carolina last year where they had, like, a mediocre season, and then they just beat Tennessee and South Carolina – or uh, Tennessee and Clemson. And it's like, well, damn, that made up for everything. And, like, as a Florida fan, that would have sent you bowling, and you would have beat a top-10 Missouri team that had just beaten Tennessee. So, like, yeah, that would have made up for a lot of things. But, no, nope, instead – Defense decided to fold. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know, man. That was crazy. I watched that live, and when they converted on the fourth down, I'm like, yeah, they're they're winning. Like, there's, yeah. it could have been a 70 yard field goal, but they would have won. Like, in my mind, after that conversion, it was crazy. Yeah, Brady Cook yesterday, 20 of 34, 331 yards and a touchdown, and Cody Schrader just kept doing Cody Schrader things. 23 carries, 148 yards, and a touchdown as well. Luther Burden, man, nine receptions, 158 yards, um, no touchdowns. And I, I tell you what the biggest 
or one not the biggest, but one of the biggest plays of the game though was the seventy-seven yard pitch and catch to Theo Wees down the sideline for the touchdown. That Theo Wees turned on the Jets on that play, dude. Like you would have thought he would have just ran out of bounds or something like that. No, he decided to just turn on the turbos, dude. And that was a that was a big play, momentum changing, um, swing, swing, whatever you want to call it. I mean that that play was electric. Yeah, um, it was. Um, I, just I, big, big win for. I mean, team, good teams do what it takes to win, and that's exactly what Missouri did yesterday. Yeah, and I do want to give credit, dude. Like Florida, for the most part, shut down Schrader. Schrader did have 148 yards, but he had a one long 42 yard run. That if you kind of wipe that away and just look at his average at that point, you're only talking about 22 attempts for 100 yards, roughly. I mean, they did they did their job in slowing down Schrader for the most part, um, and I think that's why you've seen Florida staying around in this ball game. Um, but then what you what you don't account for is Brady Cook just finding the hidden yardage. I mean, he ended the day with 331 passing yards, and a lot of that was yards after catch. Yak. I mean, his players making plays. You got Theo Wees. You had uh, Luther Burden. Dude, oh my God, what a game. Nine catches for 158 yards. And by the way, he was the guy that caught the ball in that fourth and 17. Made no sense why Florida was just playing soft. I don't know. Like, they're playing the sticks like they're supposed to be, but then don't. Well, it looks like he was the one guy on the field that wasn't even guarded at the time, and he's the best player on the field other than Cody Schrader. I mean, that that's where I, I questioned a little bit that defense on the fourth and seventeen, but I, I was kind of like you. I was like fourth and seventeen, man. It Florida, they just did it. I mean, I, I don't know how they pulled it off. And then Luther Burton catches it, and I said the same thing you did. I was like, Missouri is about to kick a field goal and win this game. Is, it, is Missouri it, not it, having? Is Missouri ahead. not having that kind of like Cinderella story, kind of like Tennessee was having last year? The yeah. only difference, the only difference is you know Missouri's, I guess. Marquee win because ours was Alabama. Theirs would be Tennessee. I mean, what is their big win? As far as opponent goes, I would say probably Tennessee. But I would say the way that the game went, it beat that Kansas State game where Missouri. Well, no. so Kansas State yeah, so no, Kansas State was the 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 hump they had to get over. Right. I'm not going to say that was their biggest win, but that is definitely what kind of set the tone and gave the belief in this team. Because in my mind, the Kansas State win was a lot like the Pitt win for us last year, where we got beat by Pitt the year before. Kansas State beat Missouri the year before. Well, then you had to have that belief instilled in the team when you beat that team that beat you last year. That then that then proves that, hey, you got better from year to year. Now, let's go out and win some games. So I agree with you. And and it may still be Kansas State as being the biggest win this year. Um, But one thousand percent, that game was kind of what what got them rolling like new. You know, the belief was at that point instilled in them. Um, LSU came in and they had a chance to win that game in the fourth quarter. Uh, unfortunately, through a pick six, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, Missouri's kind of having that, you know, America's team type of vibe where everybody's just loving what Eli's doing out there. I hate it. I'll be honest. I'm not a fan, but I'm a Tennessee fan, so I mean, it, yep. it is what it is. Uh, let's mention about Florida though, because I I do have to to give some prayers up to um, Graham Mertz, who was knocked out of the game in the fourth quarter. Uh, what a play! I- yeah, Max Brown did come in, and he he did he did pretty 
he, he did decent. He was four or five from for uh, fifty six yards in that fourth quarter when he came in. But uh, but yeah, I mean, Florida did not have a bad day at all. They threw for two hundred thirty nine. They rushed for two hundred sixty one. They they did what they needed to. It Missouri just they they pulled it out in the end. Sometimes when you have the pixie dust, brother, it doesn't matter what the other team does. Um, no, nah, Florida did some great things, and, and that Graham Mertz injury kind of sucked because that was such a gutsy run. Um, it was like a fourth and three or fourth and five, and like he knew he was going to be short, so he just lowered the shoulder. And literally, I'm not going to say he ran over them, but let's just say the Missouri guys just fell off of him, and he kept going. Um, and I think it was the second hit that actually broke his collarbone. I'm going to go ahead and call it as I see it. The way he grabbed his shoulder immediately and immediately went to a sling, that's almost a telltale sign for a broken collarbone. I've broken one before. It's not fun. It almost feels like you can't move your shoulder at all. Like this is this is a natural position you want to go when you break a collarbone, I promise. Um, and so I, it sucked because that was such a good play, and they were, ro- they were going down the field. And what sucked about it is then the backup quarterback had to come in and they fumble and Missouri scores. And that, you felt like, is what lost you the game. But then credit to Florida. They came right back, had a chance. They actually went up after a field goal. and uh, But, man, that that two-minute drill by Missouri. And and as much as it was a great job by Missouri, Florida's defense cannot give up a fourth and 17 right there. But but, but that's kind of – that's things coming back around after that big fourth down conversion that – Florida had against Tennessee back in what 2015 or whatever they ended up winning oh, the game. Yeah. So, yep. Sorry, but, I, had, uh, I had to add Tennessee in there somewhere. But uh, no, you're, you're you're straight, man. Robert agrees with us that or agrees with you as as far as Kansas State being the biggest win of Missouri season. That kind of you know set the tone, like I mentioned, for the season. And they they are very well on track, man. I think they have Arkansas next week. We'll talk about that game. On track for a ten and two season going to a New York Six, and that that is crazy to think. Um, but let's move ahead. We got two games left, and we're well over an hour into the oh, show. We got real, real quick. We'll we'll try to keep it short, but I, I want you to make mention of something that you kind of alluded to last segment about coaches. Yes. Oh, <laughs> wrong coach, actually. Oh, yeah. Okay wrong coach yeah we're coming up to it we're coming up to it in fact let's talk about it in fact let's talk about it kentucky loses to south carolina a coach that we haven't really talked about being on the hot seat because of how good a situation he's been in is mark stoops they literally pay this man nine million dollars a year to be mediocre win eight games a year and they're happy right well the problem is is kentucky may not win seven games this year They, they very well could go six and six um, which would be terrible because they've lost most of those games in the second half of the season, which is very Kentucky-ish. I mean, that's that's what Kentucky does all the time. Um, no, I think the third coach to get fired this year could be Mark Stoops. I mean, going if he were to go 6-6 six and six this year after all the hype around Devin Leary and he's got a couple of sophomore wide receivers that broke out last year, right? Um, in my mind, that's not acceptable even for Kentucky standards. And we've already seen their fan base get pretty upset with Mark Stoops this year, especially losing to Tennessee when they felt like they really had a chance to win. Um, this is one of the coaches outside of Billy Napier. I think Billy Napier, I think he's there. I mean, if if 
there were to be a fourth coach fire this year, I think it is Billy Napier. Um, but Mark Stoops could be, could be, I mean, losing to South Carolina, man. You, <laughs> okay. But not after South Carolina's had the poor season they've had. You can't be, you can't be the only SEC win. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. They have three now. I was going to say, you can't be the only SEC win that South Carolina has outside of Vanderbilt. Um, I'm not really sure who else South Carolina beat. I'm so confused. Right? Mississippi State. Okay. <laughs> okay. So outside the two worst teams in the SEC, you were the third win. And uh, I just, I don't know, man. I, I think this was a very bad loss for Kentucky, very bad loss for Mark Stoops. And that was where I was going earlier with the whole coaches thing. Cause I think, I think outside looking in that Mark Stoops has got to be on a, I mean, his seat's got to be warming up. I don't think he gets fired this year, but I do think at the start of next year, he is on the hot seat. But, you know, talk, talk about winners first. South Carolina, they did just enough to win this game. <laughs> they, uh, they scored 10 points in the first quarter and did not score again until the fourth quarter. And that's, that's what ultimately won them the game. Um, Spencer Radler kept doing what he needed to. He was 19-27, 207 yards, two touchdowns. No interceptions again. Spencer Radler, uh, when we get to um, the the prediction show, it, it shows the stats for the season. But Spencer Radler has had himself a season on a bad team. No, the, what's crazy is the only way South Carolina could win this game is if Spencer and Leggett uh, connected. And I'll be damned. If that's not their only two touchdowns is to get, I mean, if you're Kentucky, that makes it even more like, like it's so head scratching. Robert even said that Kleenex is the new sponsor for Kentucky. <laughs> um, the, 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 the plan for Kentucky's defense was so clear. If you can't stop Spencer, stop Leggett. Cause at the end of the day, if you stop Leggett, that's going to stop Spencer. That's his go-to guy. And guess what you couldn't do? You couldn't stop Leggett. Like, he had six catches for 94 yards and two touchdowns. You got beat by South Carolina's only two players. Congratulations, Kentucky. Your job was so easy, and yet you still failed. But, you know, I'm going to go on the other side of it. South Carolina didn't beat Kentucky because Kentucky beat themselves. Kentucky- that, and that's fair. But like, and, and to, to prove that, how many rushing yards – Outside the quarterback, did South Carolina have yesterday? They had, let's see, Mario Anderson ran for 27. Lenore Sellers had nine, so that's 36. And that's a quarterback. Yeah. Um, Raswell had, had three, 30 yards. 39. And, and then you had um, a couple of um, losses on there. So you really had just 27 yards. 30 yards, something like that, outside the quarterback. That's it. That's it. All you had to do was shut down a wide receiver, and they couldn't do it. And, like, I know, I know, like, Kentucky did beat themselves. You're right on that. Um, And spent, starting with protecting the ball, right? I mean, Devin Leary can't throw interceptions, which he did throw one. Um, I believe there was a fumble, if I if there I remember two, correctly. There was two fumbles. Devin Leary had a fumble. Uh, the ball yeah. got knocked out of his hand as he brought it back to throw. Uh, Dane Key fumbled it. Um, I think it was after a reception, maybe, or maybe he so was tell what so, so the turnover margin was three to nothing, right? Yes, that's where the game was lost right there because exactly. the, the interception that Devin Leary threw was in the end zone. 
Kentucky yeah. drove right down the field. They were getting ready to score in the interception yeah. in the end. And then uh, I know one of the fumbles, it might have been the Devin Leary one. They were driving down the field again, and South Carolina got back there and knocked it out of his hand before he could throw it. So Kentucky had every single opportunity in the world to win this game, and they just they couldn't do it. South Carolina ended up pulling it out. I don't know. Oh, by the way, there's a viral video going around about Darude sandstorm, uh, performance sandstorm. I'll be honest, that was whack. That, he didn't perform nothing. He was like in a booth, just you know. I didn't even. How see do you that. perform? How do you perform an electro song? Like I don't. I don't. Whatever. Anyway, it's going viral because you know the the crowd, the atmosphere, and let's get it. Columbia, South Carolina, Columbia, Missouri, too, but. They've got some electric nighttime atmospheres, and that was on full display. But I just thought that that uh, a performance by Sandstorm was kind of whack. I, I didn't even understand that. But it's not like there was a guy and a guitar and a drum set. Like there, there was no concert. Um, but anyways, no. I, at the end of the day, these teams were playing for fifth and sixth spots <laughs> on the SEC East, and uh, South Carolina actually pulled it out, man. And a shout-out to South Carolina because they just kept their bowl hopes alive. All they have to do is win this weekend, and they could get a bowl game. But, you know, it is going to be in their Super Bowl. So I That mean, would be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool, though. All right, let's just broad scope. Let's, let's, let's look at this from an SEC East perspective. If South Carolina can find a way to beat Clemson, you've got six out of seven teams going bowling in the East. No, yeah. no, no, no. Florida, no, 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 no. Florida would have to beat Florida State. But but it's, um, it's still possible. But it's still possible. Yes, yeah, still possible. Um, which I guess we'll get to our pick segment in a little bit. I got something to say about that. Um, Last but game. Anyways, yeah, LSU beat the crap out of Georgia State. Nobody wants to talk about that. Jaden Daniels for some reason was in the ball game in the fourth quarter, so he get his eighth touchdown responsible for that ties Joe Burrow's record. Um, so hats off to him, but. There's no reason he should have been in the game in the fourth quarter, in my opinion. Well, it looks like um, Garrett Nussmeyer never even came into the game. Yeah, I don't know if he was hurt or if they were just sunshine pumping for Jaden Daniels to get the Heisman, which is what I think was happening, which I I don't respect that. I don't respect that. It, you're either the best player of college football or you're not. Like, don't don't pump your stats against a team that's way lesser or inferior to make you look like a better player. In my opinion, that is the dumbest thing ever. And I wish that Heisman voters would look at that, but they don't. They look at overall stats, right, throughout the season. Um, but Robert just hit us up with a big question. He said, Clemson is playing better. You know Beamer would have liked to play Clemson four or five weeks ago. Was that the question? Um, I mean, I think Beamer doesn't care when he plays Clemson. I think that's a battle of South Carolina. I mean, that's a battle of South Carolina. I think that's going to be a very – championship. The, the, the fact that state championship shit, that's their Super Bowl. Come on. Um, uh, let's see. Shane Beamer has a lot to play for. South Carolina has a lot to play for. Man, the fact that they can beat Clemson and for that to be for a bowl game, best believe they're going to be coming out firing on all cylinders. The problem is I do think Clemson's playing their better ball right now, um, which may not be good for South Carolina because South Carolina's defense is bad. They play good against Kentucky, but Kentucky ain't good. So um, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But uh, let's no. end this uh, this recap right here. And it's it's been a long one, but we've had a lot to talk about. Uh, 